Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning. Welcome to Monday. <laughs> it is, wow, it just feels like a Monday. <clears throat> uh, it's, uh, it's, but it's a good start to the week. I mean, except for the whole three below thing and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, the weather still deciding what it wants to do. Um, it is, uh, you know, <clears throat> still winter. I know it fooled you, but I told you earlier. I remember I told you this last week. Don't be fooled. Um, we're still continuing on. Winter still continuing. We got a huge snowstorm down on the peninsula, um, uh, in the northern peninsula, especially across the whole uh uh, Portage Glacier area and the Seward Highway down there. They got seven to fifteen inches of snow. <laughs> <laughs> with wind gusts up to 45 miles an hour. So, hey, you know, no big deal. Uh, up to eight inches of snow on the uh, on the Seward Highway itself. So uh, be careful if you're driving back and forth today. Uh, not as much down in the Anchorage area and up here in Wasilla. We only got a few inches. Uh, I know Fairbanks has been struggling with its own weather situation as well. Uh, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. So uh, anyway, winter's here to stay. I know we were all... We were all faked out by the uh, by the incredibly warm weather spike, but uh, here we go. <clears throat> we're ready to go. All right, uh, today's program. Thank goodness, um, I was uh, I got some some guests coming in to talk about and discuss things because if you guys had to listen to me and this <clears throat> voice all day, you would be tired of the show as much as I would be uh, by the end of it today. But today we got some great guests. Uh, including in hour one, we're about to be joined by Representative Ben Carpenter, who's going to talk with us about the importance of the PFD, protecting the PFD, seeing if we can get the, you know, the largest PFD possible. Uh, and then uh, in hour two, we'll be joined by Sarah Vance, uh, who will also talk with us about that, grand juries, the education bill, uh, everything else that we've gotten so far, and, uh, and where we're at, where we're at in the whole situation uh, this morning. So it's, uh, that's, that's it. That's, that's it. It's all, it's all good stuff. All right. So we are, uh, we're ready to go. I'm, I'm without further, without further ado, adieu, adieu, particles. We're going to be joined by representative Ben Carpenter, um, right now. Let's hope all this works. How about that? Representative Ben Carpenter joins us this morning, uh, and we say good morning to him. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Michael. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen uh, this morning. Uh, as I drag myself, uh, drag myself to the to the console here, we get things rolling. You look a lot more put together than I am this morning, so I appreciate that. One <laughs> of us, is, it is a Monday. One of us has got to look professional. It might as well be you <laughs> at this point. Uh, 
Um, all right. Well, Ben, um, as always, we're trying to keep a finger on uh, on the pulse of what's happening in the legislature, which is not always easy considering our capital is, you know, a thousand miles away. And, uh, you know, at the end of a three thousand uh, dollar, you know, journey for even just a day or two. Um, and so it's hard. It's hard for us to kind of keep track. And the news media not always giving us what I would like to call super in-depth reporting on things. So we're, we're trying to get a feel for what's happening down there. And we're glad that you're able to come on board and join us this morning. So first and foremost, um, <clears throat> we'd like to get a little update of what's going on. I know we want to focus this morning on uh, SGR, <clears throat> excuse me, SGR4, which is the, uh, um, the PFD uh, enshrinement of the, f- uh, not the formula, but the actual enshrinement of the payout of the PFD. And you can discuss that. And I know you had some work you were doing on grand juries and other things. So um, I'll let you kind of drive the bus as far as where we want to get started, maybe a quick update, and then we can move right into the uh, into the constitutional amendment. And uh, we'll go from there. How about that? Good. Well, we had a, a busy week last week dealing with uh, education and Senate Bill 140. And uh, HDR seven was Sorry, calendared no. Thank you. to be heard as well last week, but it just um, got overcame by the education discussion. So we're going to start that conversation today. After we have a joint session to hear from uh, Representative Peltola, so today's going to be a longer, longer, longish, <laughs> a long day, um, a long most likely. Day. And uh, so we're going to start um, with uh, HDR 7 in second reading, which means that it's open for amendments. So we will begin the debate process um, on the resolution. And just so folks are aware, it's a constitutional uh, amendment that the legislature can pass in order to amend the Constitution. And then it would go to the voters in November to be ratified by the voters, and then it would become part of the Constitution. And all, all that the the uh, resolution says it. I had to keep it as simple as possible, with you know the divided legislature and just the the nature of the PFD battle over the um, you know the last few years. Um, but all it says is that the state is going to pay a dividend, and it's going to be paid according to a statute. And it also um, protects the earnings reserve account by moving the earnings reserving earnings reserve account out of the general fund and into the permanent fund so that it can't be spent from from um, you know a simple majority vote and the the distribution that comes out of the permanent fund uh, earnings reserve account would also be by statute protected by the constitution so we're protecting the dividend and we're protecting the balance of the earnings reserve account as a stronger fiscal structure than what we have now which is the legislature gets to appropriate whatever they want out of the earnings reserve account. Exactly. Well, and most people don't know that we've got dueling statutes, right? We've got two different statutes that are fighting against each other. One is the statutory formula that has the historic statutory formula that's been there <clears throat> since the uh, late seventies, and then we've got the uh, then we've got the POMV formula SB twenty six, which goes in there. And so the legislature at this point is just kind of choosing, you know, which law they want to break. And uh, instead of repealing it or changing it, they've just been unwilling to do that. And now they're making that decision um, as we as we go forward. And this, again, I want to be clear because there was discussions and I appreciate the clarification. HJR 7, SB, SBJR. I mean, there's been so many different resolutions that have been floated around about this thing. Um, this is not one that would enshrine the formula because that was one of the original discussions, I think, last year. 
um, uh, or maybe the year before the governor talked about it where they were going to actually enshrine the statutory formula in. This, I think, is probably a little bit cleaner. It still gives the legislature some flexibility. But I think the one thing that it does is it holds them accountable for that statutory formula. And that might be part of the pushback is kind of what I'm sensing from talking to people. Um, can you can you talk about that, the, the metrics of it and what that would mean, what the legislature would have to do to make all that work? Yeah. So we've always been talking about um, a statutory formula. We haven't been talking about a constitutional formula. And the, uh, the, the simple fact of the matter is, is that you wouldn't be able to get a resolution up for a vote and, and it wouldn't pass if you are trying to put a constitutional formula in. There just there is not enough d um, desire or, or support in the legislature to put a formula into the Constitution. It's just too permanent. And so what we're what, what this amendment does is it points to the formula that needs to be followed per the Constitution. So the Constitution is saying, hey, you're going to establish a formula. You're going to follow that formula because the Constitution says you need to do that. And then we can come back and have a conversation about what the what the correct formula is through the appropriate, uh, sorry, through the uh, legislative process and not through the appropriations process. And, and that's an onerous process. I mean, it, it does have its checks and balances and is not an easy thing to do. So, um, yeah, this is this is the only thing that's possible. You, you, we're just not going to be able to have a conversation about putting any sort of numbers or formulas into the Constitution because there's there's not enough people who think that's a good idea. Right. And and uh, and I think that's the that's the biggest thing here that most people don't understand is that with the uh, court decision uh, of the Willikowski court decision, where they're basically saying that it was subject to appropriation. That's when the whole thing basically became just a negotiation, because before that, it was a shell transfer. Right. That was the 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 step is that it was shell transfer. Uh, it was like an automatic thing. In fact, for several years, the legislature really had nothing to do with it. It was just an automatic transfer internally. Um, and but because they made it a uh, part of the appropriations process, that's when the legislature could just then pick and choose and decide, we'll give you what's left over or we'll give you a full one or we'll just do whatever we want to do kind of thing. And that's what really caused the uh, that's what really caused the, the, the majority of the issues since the 2016 decision by Walker to veto it. Yeah. Well, I was reminded last week with a conversation that I had with a with an old timer. Uh, that this isn't the first time we've had conversations about um, protecting the PFD, right? There's been a um, decades-long um, realization that at some point in time, you're going to have a legislature that wants to get at that um, permanent fund dividend and, and get at the corpus of the fund. And the whole reason that we have a PFD program in the first place was because our forefathers recognized, right, that the the threat of the legislature getting into the corpus of the fund and, and blowing it like they did the $900 million of, uh, of oil money um, when we first found oil is a real threat to the longevity of the fund. And that was the purpose of the permanent fund dividend check was to tie the people into caring about the permanent fund. Well, we've we've had plenty of um, opportunities here, you know, this legislative session to to hear from our finance folks who are saying, hey, look, we're at risk of running out of money in the earnings reserve account to pay for dividends, pay for permanent fund 
uh, I'm sorry, pay for uh, state government out of the permanent fund earnings, it's a real risk going forward. And so I think that is driving some of the uh, acceptance that we need to have a conversation. We need to start that that conversation about a, what a better long-term stable fiscal plan is for the state. And it has to include the, the dividend program as a, as a function of keeping the, the fund safe. If, right. if you take away the people's dividend, then it's only a next step to them, them not caring whether the permanent fund itself gets tapped into. So right. this is, this is the, this is the safety net for the protection of the, of the fund. And I think people for various reasons, I mean, the, the permanent fund dividend is many things to many people, but uh, recognizing that there's enough people in the legislature, I think to say, we want to continue the permanent fund dividend program and this is the way to make sure that it continues. Well, and, and I will remind folks, again, you, you touched on the origin of the fund and in the genesis of why the fund was created. I mean, it was that first royalty payment that they received uh, in 1969, 70, whatever it was, uh, that was 900, just over almost a billion dollars. It was 900 million and change. Now, at the time, the state government, the state budget, was about $160 million for the entire state. And they burned through that 900, almost a billion dollars, like a hot knife through butter. I mean, they spent that thing like it was going out of style and it shocked some people. And Hammond talked specifically about that, that he was concerned that with access to that kind of money, he was concerned about the growth of state government and everything else. And that really is the genesis of the permanent fund. And now here we are today with them once again tapping into those same monies in a different way, but again, utilizing it to spend however they want, and we get the leftover parts. And that is, uh, that's unfortunate because that's not the intent. That was not, I mean, even, even, I mean, it was Lyman Hoffman would have reminded us that, you know, the PFD is supposed to have first call on the budget, but the way that it's been framed these days, um, people treat it like um, it's an afterthought, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, well, it's the easiest thing for legislators to turn to to pay for their programs, especially when it doesn't have any impact on them, their the constituency and, right. and whatnot. Like right. it's not, it's not a. I'm I'm not saying it's a tax. I'm just saying, hey, we we can't afford to pay the dividend because we've got these more important programs. And um, look at what happened last week. We had we had serious proposals on the floor to spend half a billion dollars. $500 million on an education increase inside the BSA increase. So that would be $500 million this year and next year and the year after that in perpetuity, right? There are people that want to sequester away the permanent fund earnings to government programs to the, to the extent that the dividend would have to go away to pay for it. That is the reality that yeah. we have in the legislature. And we have enough people both on uh, on both sides of the aisle that say, hey, wait a second, we, we do need to talk about state spending, but we also need to acknowledge that the people do want to have a dividend program and we're the risk <laughs> that the dividend goes away. Right. So we need, we need to constitutionalize this, that there will be a dividend, right? You're basically allowing the dedication of funds, the per a portion of the permanent fund earnings can be dedicated to the, the dividend program and the other part can be dedicated to state spending. And then we'll have a, a conversation about what that, that breakdown needs to be. Right, which again, I think instead of ignoring the law, we'll finally have to address it, which 
Again, I think it's some of the hesitancy from some of the legislators who don't want to necessarily go on record with something like that. Uh, Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're going to continue the Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. we return to the more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, Ben Carpenter is our guest. Uh, Again, apologies, Ben, if I'm not uh, right razor sharp on those questions for you there. I'm trying to... Work my way through it here. Um, but, I mean, I, I agree. It is a uh, – I mean, it, it's been a little troubling kind of the the verbal wordplay that's happened over the years to where the PFD has not – instead of tying people to what the government's doing, um, the the phraseology has changed. And, and there's been a lot of Republicans who've been involved in this where they say, well, you don't want to pay a full dividend. You don't want us to have to tax you to pay a dividend now, do you? Kind of thing. And again, I think that they've missed the whole, I, I think that they've missed the whole uh, uh, idea behind what Hammond was envisioning here was again, trying to tie it together that it should have first call. That, you know, technically, as it did for years, I mean, like I said, there were years the legislature was not even involved. It was just a shell transfer kind of thing. And it went through there um, and it, it was never even accounted for on the books, like I said, as as far as like income outgo. That changed under Walker and that kind of changed the whole game. Um, but it's unfortunate that I've seen a lot of people, including many Republicans, who were giving you this false dichotomy of, well, do you want taxes or do you want a dividend? The, it is a tax when you're yeah, taking the dividend. Yeah, we're we're Alaskans are spoiled, right? We're we're spoiled by um, uh, such large resource wealth that in recent years has been dwindling a little bit, and we're spoiled because we had the foresight to put this big permanent fund together. And and early on, there wasn't the purpose for the permanent fund other than to just grow. It just that was its purpose: just keep pushing money, putting money away, and and invest it and grow it for the future, right? So that hasn't changed in some respects. We still put money into it and we still are looking to the future. And the, you know, the recent conversations are, maybe we don't have to think so much about the future. We need to think about now. Let's, let's spend more of it now on government services. And really, and honestly, the threat is to the future generations of not having the benefit that we have currently because the propensity for the legislature to want to get to spend that money. Um, I'm talking about the corpus for programs in the here and now, as opposed to ensuring that 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 um, that large fund exists for future generations and the benefit of future generations. Right. If, if the only thing that constrains getting into that fund is a permanent fund dividend and you're going to eliminate the dividend, then the fund is at risk. And that's, that's the problem. You know, if we can pass a permanent fund, um, a pass a constitutional amendment that protects the permanent fund and you only need 27 votes in the house, then it's one, one generation away from another constitutional amendment that allows us to spend from the, from the corpus. Right. Right. It's, it's easy in the, in the sense of, uh, it's possible, 
uh, it's not easy in the sense that you have to get the votes for it, but it's possible that the legislature could at some point in time make an argument that we need to spend from the corpus. I mean, what, what energy problem needs to be solved and we've got to have a, um, money spent from somewhere. Um, we have, we have too many bad returns and our pension system is upside down and we can't afford to pay our retirees and the courts say, Hey, you've got money. You just need to make it, make it a priority and, and you need to, um, keep those pensions solvent. So, I mean, there's, there's many different things that could happen in the future that would cause the legislature to have to dip into our, our, um, permanent fund if we're not wise with our money and don't have a strong, um, um, long-term fiscal plan that sets us on a good path. Right. Because with, so, with OMB projections right now, I mean, we're, we're showing deficits for the next 10 years and they're significant deficits and those deficits would have to be filled by something in the most, the easiest quote unquote pot of money to draw from is the permanent fund. It's a simple, it's a simple majority vote, the permanent fund dividend payout out of the earnings reserve. They, it's just as easy to basically say you get nothing and we'll take it all. That's the way to fill up those, those deficits. And there, I mean, there are significant deficits and we just added to it again. Like you said, this is not a one time, this is not a one-time funding. This is, you've just committed to forever an additional $200 million a year. I mean, it just gets worse from there. Yeah, that is what we're doing. Yeah. You know, the Ten education funding that we increased came from the dividend. All right, we got to wrap this. I just, I'm sorry, I heard the ding and I, I went on. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Ben Carpenter is our guest. Let's get back to it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, not your daddy. Wait, sorry, not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Ben Carpenter is our guest. The uh, <clears throat> the Michael Dukes show. Uh, Sarah Vance coming up in hour two. But let's uh, let's continue on here. Uh, ben, um, in light of the fact that we're talking about HDR seven, uh, which is the constitutional amendment that would mandate a payment of the PFD, doesn't say the amount because that would be controlled by statute. Um, but we also look in light of what's been going on with the permanent fund board lately, and all of a sudden they've come up with this idea that um, oh, we've got a crisis in the permanent fund. Uh, there's just not enough money in the earnings reserve to take care of everything. Um, and that account has gotten drained down. And so what we need to do is we need to put them all together and create a, you know, hot, put the ERA and combine the two and et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, with no talk of the $4 billion that was transferred and the previous $2 billion that was transferred and all these other monies that it's like this is the perfect storm of a crisis that was created and now we can exercise it. Um, and so what is the threat of that um, in in terms of what's going on with HDR7? Is there some connectivity there? Well, this shouldn't be a surprise. The trust fund baby always says, how can I grow my trust rather than going out and getting a job? <laughs> God, I wish I was a trust fund baby. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. well, that's what we're setting up. I that, agree. That's, I that's agree. largely what we're setting up for this state is to say, we want our government to be paid from the earnings of the permanent fund. That's what we're setting up. The, the whole reason to get to $100 billion is to kick off 5% of that every year, $5 billion, which is going to fund our state government, right? That's the that's the goal of the long-term plan of some people, right? So does that 
Does that give me any confidence that the legislature is going to care about small business in, in Alaska? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. All it's going to care about is growing government at the size of the permanent fund. That's not helpful for me for a, a limited government guy. <laughs> like we can grow to the size of the of the uh, the earnings of the permanent fund in perpetuity, and that that is right. That is risky for freedom. That is risky for freedom for all of us because we could rapidly have a very outsized government in just a matter of years. Well, and we could, well, I, th I mean, aren't, aren't we there right now? I mean, I mean, aren't we close to that right now with the size and scope of government where they're spending, you know, 16, 17, $18,000 for every man, woman, and child isn't, aren't we near yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. And, and this is why Hammond said it was a mistake to get rid of the, uh, the tax that the people pay in order to help pay for their government. I'm, I'm not in, um, in favor of an income tax because I think that's a, a, the wrong way to go about paying for state government but or government in general. But there is a, there's a human nature difference between uh, the government taking money that's due to come to my hand, right? I'm, I'm expecting it to come to my hand and taking money that's already in my pocket. If you take half of what's supposed to come to my hand, I'm, st I still, I'm still gonna have half more than what I had before it came into my hand. But if you take half of what's in my pocket, I'm, I'm a little bit more pissed off at that. Right. So it gives that we're, connectivity. We're, in a, it's we're a, in a situation where we're saying that the permanent fund dividend has the same effect as a tax on what's happening with state government. And that's not co completely accurate just from a human nature perspective. Sure. But that is what's happening. Yeah. You're, you're taking money from the permanent fund and that is a tax on people. Right. I mean, it is less painful to have it money that you're expecting to be have versus money that you have in your hand and you have to write a check. You're right. I mean, effectively, and it is technically, I mean, it's not, it's, it has the same form as a tax. Uh, you still lose money. The money still goes to the government. You don't have the ability to do it. It helps divorce the public and the private economies. I mean, that whole thing is, you're 100% right. Uh, a tax in hand would be, whether it's an income tax or a sales tax or a flat tax or head tax or whatever it is, those are more difficult. Those are more painful in the long run. This is more kind of a, this has been the subtle death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. Yeah, well, and that's what the, the risk is for us as Alaskans to allow our government to be uh, a trust fund baby, right? Because that is not without risk. We are going to have years and periods of time where the, the investment earnings from that fund are in decline. And the amount of revenue that the state is expecting to have from that is going to be not enough. And this is the same problem we have with oil. Oil may be a little bit more volatile than investment earnings, but they're both still going to be somewhat volatile. And while we're focusing on growing our permanent fund and, and uh, setting up a structure that pays for state government off of the permanent fund, we're not talking about growing the economy where people work and using that engine, that economic engine to help pay for state government. That engine is less volatile than, than the permanent fund earnings or the, the oil revenue. So it, it, to include that portion, that, that economic engine in the, the, the pain of our bills from the state government's perspective is the way to keep people tied to the cost of government going forward. There's got to be a connection. And that's, again, we've talked about this at length with uh, Senator Rob Myers, this divorcing of the public and the private. Every other state in the nation uh, 
is tied to their private economies by the fact that that's where they garner their revenue from for the state government. Their state economies, their private economies must do well for the state to continue to draw their portion to remain in business. Here in Alaska, because of the permanent fund, because of the the resource ownership is collectively held and these kind of semi-collectivist communistic things that we've got going on, it's a, it's a whole different deal. And we're seeing the folly of that writ large in the long term now that we're up to this point where they don't have to care what happens in the uh what happens in the private economy because to them it just doesn't matter as long as the government economy is doing well everything's good yeah well we've we've got this unique structure in the state of alaska that's you know we're a we're an ownership state if you will on our resources and so all all alaskans constitutionally own the collective resources of the state well, if the PFD is eliminated, then there are only a few people that are making the decisions that are going to benefit from the earnings of the collective ownership. So you've got people who are in, entitled to government spending. You've got people who have government handouts in the form of um, um, subsidies like uh, um, social welfare. And you've got your your normal services like uh, roads and and uh, schools and public uh, safety and all of that, and corporate and, cr- and corporate are, and the, cronyism too, right? And, and corporate co- yeah. and corporate cronyism, yes. All of those decisions are being made by the legislature, and only a few percentage of people of, of Alaskans are actually helping make that decision and only and benefiting from it. So the the point is that. If it's a if we're going to have this collective ownership of the resources, then we all need to benefit equally collectively, and and that is why it's important to continue and maintain a permanent fund dividend. Otherwise, you're ju- you're just going to give up the the wealth of the state to a few people making decisions for everyone else, and that's that's not healthy for us going long term. Right. Well, and that's been part of the problem that we've talked about in the legislature for a long time is that even though we've changed out a good 60% of the players over the last few years, we still have a cadre of old guard that are in there that are ones that are basically making the decisions for the entire state. You've got a handful of legislators who are basically controlling the narrative and steering the boat as far as that goes. And that's, again, part of the problem when you've got just a handful of uh, people who are making those decisions in the long run and that i mean it 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 could steer us right into the rocks it could steer us into disaster yeah i I just think that the people expect that they're they want they desire that when their kids grow up that the kids will have a job and, and be able to raise a family and have economic prosperity probably more than what their parents did that's that's what we want for our children well I can tell you that the focus of the legislature is not on that. That isn't something that we concern ourselves with very much. I mean, you just look at the the uh, plethora of bills that we have and how many of them actually are focused on or the discussions during the bills are the questions we're asking in the conversation saying, hey, how does this impact our economy? Does this hurt or help growth of our economy? That right. is not something we talk about. We We do talk about whether this is going to increase spending or decrease spending for state government. But that that does has nothing to do whether we're going to have more jobs in the future or less jobs in the future. So we have to get to a point where Alaskans jobs matter to the legislature. And the first step of having a conversation about a long term fiscal plan that incentivizes the legislature to care about our private sector economy is to deal with this permanent fund dividend issue 
and force us to have follow on conversations about what is the right fiscal structure going forward for long term health of our economy and our, and our people, not just government. Well, and you've spoken, I mean, you've touched on that, that this is part of a long-term, this is part of a larger long-term fiscal plan, um, which we've harped on here on the program for quite a while, that this is not, you know, it can't be one thing done in isolation. No one thing is going to solve all of our, uh, all of our challenges. We've got, we've got to take this as in a holistic approach of a multiplicity of things where it's the PFD, it's a spending cap, it's the, you know, new revenue generation. It is uh, the cuts to the government. It's new oil taxes. It's, I mean, it's the, the fiscal policy working group went through all this. Um, but this has just been a nearly Herculean or maybe Sisyphean task might be a better uh, term of pushing that boulder up the hill, trying to get it done. And it's, it's damn near impossible in the current legislative environment. Well, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to have the votes in the House to pass this amendment. And that, I, that all I can say is I've had the conversations with enough people that are interested in supporting this concept. It's basic enough and it protects the dividend and, and doesn't get doesn't wade into the other more touchy um, subjects that we still have to have a conversation with, but it gets us started in that path. And I think there's enough folks that are going to do that. And, and if, if we can get that um, passed in the House, then that is going to increase the pressure in the Senate to, to do something about this. I know that there are people in the Senate that don't want to have this conversation. And all I can say is that if there's a, um, two-thirds of the House that have said, yes, we want to have the conversation, it's going to be awful hard for the Senate to just ignore it. And that's when the people get involved and say, hey, we, we've got it. This is as close as we've ever come to starting a conversation and, and, and protecting the dividend. We can't let up now. So, Ben Carpenter is our guest. We've got one final segment dead ahead, and we are going to, uh, we're going to take a break here. We're going to be back in just a moment. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk about some of the other things. I, I, if you have a minute, I want to talk about uh, H, uh, H.R. 140, the uh, education bill, um, and <clears throat> what came out of that. Um, again, a permanent $200 million increase is one thing. Uh, what does that mean for us in the long term? And what does that do to the numbers that we're already looking at and more? We'll continue the Michael Duke Show. Ben Carpenter is our guest. Back with more right after this. SB 140. Thank you, Donna. Sorry. The cold medicine <coughs> is still not kicked in yet. There you go. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Ben Carpenter, our guest here on the uh on the program. Uh Working, working our way through this stuff. Um, the you know that's, Senate, Senate bills, House bills. What, I know. I'm. You sorry. know, I spent over two decades in the military, and and uh, technical jargon and and uh, acronyms are something that's a foreign language, and it's no different in the yeah in no, the legislature. I, well, and the worst part is, is that when they get a bill that are similar with similar nomenclature, so you get SJR four. Uh, or HJR7 that are dealing with kind of the same things, but it are different. And then, um, you know, it, yeah, it's, 
too many too many numbers and words and letters to uh, to get through here uh, this early in the morning. Um, you know the the whole thing here, Ben, with the uh, uh, with this holistic approach that it, that I keep talking about, and that's not my language. That's your guys's. You know, in the on the fiscal policy working group, that's what you guys came up with. Where you all said, I mean, a separate. You probably couldn't found found a more separate group of people, where you had those that were on the probably considered the far left and those on the far right. You know, conservative, liberal, fiscal hawks, fiscal doves. What you know, whatever you want to say. Yet at the end, you all came together, held hands and kumbaya, gave the world a Coke and said, here's what we need to do, but we've got to do it all together. And yet the rest of the legislature has just, it's kind of like, meh. You know, it's, it, it, it astonishes yeah. me kind of the, the blasé attitude towards this fiscal plan, especially anybody who looks at the governor's projections and the, and the, and the, and the administration's OMB projections for the next 10 years and looks at deficit, 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 getting worse and worse and worse over that 10 year period. And the idea that you're just looking at it and going, meh, I mean, that, that just, it terrifies me. Yeah. Well, um, it also bears uh, reminding people that the only way that we got that fiscal policy working group, the only way we we're able to have the conversation was to come down to a government shutdown. And it was down to the very last days before the government shutdown that we finally received um, support for continuing that conversation. And then, and then the immediate years following the, the fiscal policy working group recommendations, we didn't talk about it again, right? So this is, this is nothing new for the legislature. It wants to be able to control the, the dollars that flow into the state for state program purposes. And that is its purpose right now. And we need to have some, some change that's forward thinking and is structurally sound that leads us to a better outcome in the, in the future and, and not um, just the whims of the annual budget. And anyway, this is a first step. It's as right. close as we've ever gotten. Right. I, I, um, I don't, uh, I haven't done the research to know whether there was another constitutional amendment uh, in the last, you know, few decades that have ever made it to the floor in regards to the, to the uh, permanent fund dividend. But um, it's in small company if it, if, uh, if it has ever made it this far. And, and you mentioned it, you mentioned it briefly as you were going through some of the discussions you hear, you, you talked about some of the support that you're hearing about. So does this have, you think, the support of the, of the, some of the minority members? And is this kind of, kind of that bipartisan Absolutely. across the aisle support? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just for me personally, uh, and this is me, not Ben, but I mean, I've always wondered why, especially those who have been on the opposite side of the political spectrum for me, who ostensibly are there for fighting for their people and everything, how they have been, again, kind of blase about what's happened to the permanent fund. I would have think they would have been some of the most vocal and vociferous, you know, people who want to protect it. And maybe this is their opportunity here to get that done. Well, maybe that's um, one of the benefits of having such a divided legislature right now is uh, there's a little bit less strength in the uh, party followership, if that makes sense, right? So we're, we're kind of seeing that fracturing of, of party strength. And maybe this is the opportunity. Um, this opportunity comes out of that um, bipartisanship, if you will. 
I, I don't know that that translates to other issues. <laughs> I right, just know right, right. that 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 everybody that represents a district has people in that district that care about the dividend. Yeah, we think the PFD and, is that unifying thing that goes across all political spectrums. I mean, everybody, uh, and especially the way that Hammond envisioned it, everybody should embrace that regardless of the political affiliation, I would think. Yeah, and the reality is is that the 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 charts that we're being presented with this session show that we're going to run out of money, right? It's not just a theory that someday this is going to happen. It is on our doorstep and we have to do something or we're going to be forced to do something in the future. And, and I've been saying this, you're either going to accept that you're going to have, if you're going to keep sending the same people to the legislature that aren't going to do much to constrain spending or do something different to reduce your spending um, or the growth of spending at least, then you're, you only have a couple options. You can, you can pay for state government with permanent fund earnings and your permanent fund dividend is going to go away and then you'll have a tax. Right. Or you can keep the PFD and have a tax and pay for state government. That's your option. Ben Carpenter. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> Pinch of intel. Sorry, that is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Come on, there's at least a pinch in there somewhere. I mean, baby hands, baby hands. Um, all right, uh, we're talking with Representative Ben Carpenter right now, finishing up. Uh, Ben, um, a lot of great discussion on this. I mean, I, I can only hope that we get more movement on these points of the fiscal policy working group, HDR. Uh, seven is the first step in that direction, and, and hopefully we can get some of the other components in there. But let's go back here to Thursday night. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about it on Friday because it was Firearms Friday, but the uh, House went ahead and passed SB 140, um, which is the uh, the education bill. Um, it started out as just an Internet bill, and then it got kind of Christmas treat up because they wanted to just tackle it right away. Um, I mean, I think there's some good things on there, but as you pointed out, there's also some other things, including a permanent increase of $200 million a year moving forward in perpetuity for education. Now, we knew that there was going to be some kind of increase because there's just, I mean, it, it, there had to be, there had to be. Um, the first one was 100, I think $100 million in permanent increase. Um, but give me your thoughts on the bill as it went through. Obviously, not everybody was happy because it turned out to be, what, a $680 BSA increase and they wanted a $1,400. So they're unhappy. We're unhappy. Is that is this the definition of a great bill that everybody's unhappy? Or what do you what do you think here in the long run? Well, the the downside or the thing that, that, it, um, that I don't like about the bill <clears throat> is that it didn't tie it didn't do anything to achieve uh, address the results piece of this with an increase in spending <clears throat> we we were asking for um legislation that would allow charter schools to be chartered at the state level because we're having some challenges with uh, school districts not wanting to allow charter schools to to move forward and and even anchor school districts shut down a charter school for, right for whatever reason right so the 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 accountability that comes with choice is something that will in the long term drive better results for our schools but what senate bill 140 did was just fund education through a, a various 
um, means, right? So whether you're talking about an inside the BSA increase of $175 million, um, one time or uh, yeah, one time funding increase for for transportation and um, the correspondence schools got an increase in, in their funding formula, right? From 90% of the ADM to 100% of the ADM. So that's going forward per, in perpetuity, your correspondence schools will receive more money. That's your homeschool programs. So the point is, is that we were able to say yes to these, these uh, finance pieces, just increased spending. We're not going to spend $500 million on an increase in spending. We spent $175 million inside the BSA, right? We're going we're gonna to prevent that growth and say yes to $175 million because that's the, the essence in the building is we're, we're going to have to increase spending. So let's be reasonable about it. Um, but you didn't have you didn't have the proceed the um, the things that would actually impact the classroom, which is parents having more control over the say of what's happening inside your schools. Right. We also didn't the the governor wanted to have his um, have a, a targeted a strategy to target uh, retention of teachers through bonuses, which is a great way to retain employees is through through targeted bonuses. And the legislature said no to that. So I wouldn't be surprised if the governor came back and said, look, this is what I said was necessary to solve the problem. We need targeted bonuses and we need um, better results. And this bill doesn't do that. So if you if he comes back and vetoes it, I'm not it's I'm not going to be crying over that. We need to have those things and we can't just say, OK, we passed the education bill. And so we're done. Move on to some other subject. That, that is not acceptable in my mind. Right. So anyway. Well, I mean, it's difficult, especially as you said, the governor laid it out and said, these are the components that we definitely need. And the whole thing with the charter schools really irritates me because, again, as you said, Anchorage, they got into a, a, a tug of war between the charter schools and the school board. And they pulled the charter on this charter school and and thinking, I don't know if they feel like it's competitive and they're worried about that. But the bottom line is they lost out because 800 of those uh, parents and students, they pulled their kids completely out of the system after that. They said, OK, fine, you don't want us to. Then they pulled that, you know, and this is people who were charter school parents are more involved, which is everybody's asking for involvement, right? Of the parents, they're more involved than, than anybody, any other sector of the school system. Those are involved parents and you don't want to, uh, you don't want to support them. I thought that the idea of what was proposed was a great idea. It gave them a lot of good opportunities for people to have, so they don't get into those local tug of wars on it. And it's frustrating to see this kind of get shot down. And the fact Secondly, and the fact that there's no metrics, there's no accountability metrics to this money. We're just going to give the yeah. money to you. There's no guarantee that it gets into the classroom. There's no guarantee of anything else. You know, a lot of this is going to go to the unions to take care of their health things and all this. I mean, it's it 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 doesn't even though they cry that it's for the children, there's no guarantee that it is in the long run for the children. Yeah. Well, there's an intent uh, language in the bill. And again, it's just intent language. It doesn't have the force of law, but it's intent language that the districts come back with a report on how they spent the money, um, specifically that they're supposed to use some of this for targeted targeted um, teacher um, bonuses to help with in, um, uh, retaining teachers. And so it's a flavor of what the governor wanted, but uh, it's not it's not going to be as effective as as what the governor's program was. And 
And so, you know, another thing that came out of the out of the piece of legislation is creating in statute a um, an appeal process that doesn't currently exist for when a charter school charter gets denied or or um, revoked by a school district. And so then they would be able to appeal to the state board. What this would provide the, right. the charter school in Anchorage that got revoked, um, a, you know, a means to to continue. I think that they just the Anchorage school board was you know just dropped the the nuclear option on that school. Whatever their concerns were, probably could have been resolved in a different way that yeah. that allowed the parents to continue the school as opposed to just revoking the charter and sending them all to. Uh, other options right no i mean i think that was uh there's definitely some colors shown on that uh on that battle that's for sure um i mean if you were a betting man ben i mean I, you know if you'd like to answer this i'd love to hear your thoughts i mean do you think the governor will look at this and go meh okay or do you think he'll say that's not what i asked for and and drop the stamp on it what do you what, what if you were a betting man what would you think i i believe he's considering it right now the the veto I, I, yeah yeah i i i b- truly believe that he is considering whether he wants to veto that bill or not and what presents it presents a challenge for him and for the legislature because the the further into the legislature we go the the less we get to get done if we're still talking about education right, right? we really do need to address these issues but i'll be honest with you um the governor and the house right now have have a they have a habit of being ignored. Right. And I believe that the only way that we're going to get uh, uh, some reasonable things passed this legislature is for people to start taking the House seriously, the, the House start acting seriously. We just acted seriously with with uh, this bill that got passed, but it wasn't what we wanted. Right. So um, if you don't veto, then you're just showing that the business as usual is going to continue. Right. Uh, we're so, less we're less than three minutes here, but walk me through that. So, do I mean, would the governor have to veto this immediately for, you know, or is this something that we wait until near the end of the session and then it becomes a crisis point? I mean, what's the mechanics no, of this? I he's, mean, he's got, he has time to decide whether he's going to veto or, or not. But if he's going to, he needs to do it immediately so we can get back to the drawing board. And of course, the Senate, we already know that they're holding out for the thousand plus dollar BSA. Um, I see Calvin Schrage, the minority leader, was quoted as saying, this is great, that he liked it. Um, so, I mean, I just don't know at this point what what would happen if it does get vetoed. You know, do we go right back to the drawing board? Where do we go from here? How does that affect the federal monies on that Internet stuff if he vetoes that? Or is it just a line item? There's There's a timing component with the bag money. That um, we have to the the folks that are submitting applications for that um, uh, hundred megabit service um, would have to, and it's in March uh, timeframe. I'm not off the top of my head. I don't know what the exact date is, but there's a there's a deadline for by which those applications need to be submitted. And honestly, if if uh, GCI, which is the biggest um, um, recipient of funds, was in any uh, jeopardy of not being able to receive monies, we would be seeing their lobbyist here at the <laughs> at the Capitol. So I don't think that we're in any jeopardy immediately yeah. of not being able to, you know, and, and honestly, this is also the, this is the devil's in the details on this. Right. Some of the school districts don't have the capacity right now to move from, from their current service level to um, 
100 megabits. So it's really an it's an irrelevant conversation. We're going to authorize right. the the authority to move to 100, but they they just can't do it yet. Right. So, um, and of course, this it's, all it's. it's this all assumes that the Senate is going to sign off on this, uh, and uh, they still have to take a bite at this apple. So who knows? Yeah, well, maybe maybe they toe the line and say we want our thousand, and they submarine it. We just we just don't know at this point. Um, all right, well Ben, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming on board, uh, especially early on. I appreciate you, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again here in a couple of weeks to see where things are going. Um, we didn't even get to talk about grand jury. The, the hour goes so fast. It's just, it's amazing. It we'll bring you back on to talk about those things here. Okay. Sounds good. Keep All watching right. on Wednesday, judiciary. All right. We'll hold the line for just a second, Ben. We'll be right back. Folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke show, Sarah Vance coming up in hour two. If you're leaving us, be kind, love one another, live well. Back with more after this. Ben, I'll give you final bite here uh, because we were going to kind of chat about this whole grand jury thing um, and just the time got away from us here. Um, bad, bad show host for not keeping track of it. But uh, uh, you've been fighting some things over the grand jury. We've been watching this. We've been seeing that there's been some very troubling things happening in the grand jury system. Um, and I know that you were kind of you were the one that brought it to the show a year ago. Uh, when nobody was really hearing about it, you brought your concerns out and uh, have been following it quite closely. Uh, so give us a quick rundown of what's going on. And you said Wednesday. Uh, so what? tell us what's happening here. Yeah, so um, HB 67 is sitting in uh, House Judiciary right now, and that is a governor's um, victim's rights bill. And it already had language in it that is uh, addressing um, court rule changes. And so when we're dealing with uh, what would be the ultimate of victims' rights, uh, grand jury um, ability to investigate, um, we're going to amend that bill with um, some legislation that that will force or uh, it will be speaking to the courts and to the executive on what the legislative intent is in regards to grand juries by by in some cases codifying what the court rules are in statute um, in order to to um, decrease ambiguity about what is what is happening and um, it's going to be an interesting interesting conversation i'll just uh leave it at that well and some of this has to do with the fact that the court rules that the that, that out of the blue the supreme court changed some of the rules without the due process without their normal going through their normal um, um, process of having committees and public hearings and everything. It's just like arbitrarily one day they just issued a new order that said this is what the new rules are. And this goes back again to that whole grand jury fiasco where they were stopping grand juries from investigating public corruption. And uh, I mean, that, again, very, very troubling in the fact that the courts appear to be on the outside, perception is reality, but they appear to be offering some kind of cover for this kind of stuff. That's very troubling. Well, I don't think that um, it's uh, only the courts. No, no. I, I think no. I think the other branch is also guilty of of uh, stymieing the ability of grand juries to investigate, and that's kind of what we're going to discuss on on Wednesday. Well, good. Uh, Wednesday. When is it? Which 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 hearing? Which uh, which? This is ju judiciary. Should be at one o'clock, depending on what happens with the uh, House floor session. Okay, so judiciary one o'clock on Wednesday. 
they're going to be going into this and talking with us uh, about uh, grand juries and what uh, and what their function is and how to protect that function, uh, which again is mandated yeah, this, in the Constitution. Go ahead. Yeah, it's we're, we're we're doing more than just addressing court rules. Yeah, this is this is changing our statutes to better describe what the powers and responsibilities and authorities and and uh, protections are for the grand juries. And we have to remember too, that the grand jury is found in, in article one of the constitution. It's, it's one of those rights that the people have. It's right underneath uh, the right of due process. So the grand jury has to, has to it, is, it is constrainable by the constitution and the constitutional provision of due process. So you have to balance, right? You've got the people that can serve on a grand jury. They can indict for felony um, criminal activity, and they can issue reports that could detail criminal activity. All of that is still has to be bumped against the right of uh, due process for the person who's being charged. Right. So anyway, we're going to have some interesting conversation on improving our grand juries, the statutes of our, our uh, directing our grand juries. Well, I'm looking forward to that discussion uh, because, again, I think the grand jury uh, is one of the pivotal tools that the public has to try and hold the government accountable. Uh, I mean, it is, again, it's one of the few things that is it's enshrined right there in the Constitution. And to see some of the abrogation that's going on is troubling to me, to say the least, uh, that they feel like they can uh, they can do that. Um, and uh, it is troubling. So Wednesday, 1 p.m., House Judiciary Committee. What's the is there a bill attached to this again? H- H- HB 67. HB 67. All right. Well, and I believe that the amendment is on basis now. So if you want to look at the amendment, it's uh, it's been noticed and is online on the website for people to see for HB 67. OK, well, yeah. Ben, thank you. As always, my friend, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for coming on so early. We appreciate it. And we will talk with you again soon maybe maybe next week we should have a recap on just on the uh just on the on the uh, uh a grand jury bill when is hjr7 going to the floor real quick uh it, for first uh second reading today and then probably be voted on wednesday wednesday okay well maybe we'll have to have you back next week just for the recap of both of those maybe that'll be the yeah. best this is a, this is a very large week. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> HDR seven and grand juries on the same week is uh, it's a, a heavy lift. Yeah, usually I would wait to ask for a couple three weeks to have you back, and I'm like, no, maybe we got to have next week. Maybe we got to come back on next Monday and talk about it. So, all right, well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate you coming on board. No problem. It's good to see you again. You too, sir. Thank you so much, uh, Ben Carpenter, our guest uh, here on the Michael Luke Show. <clears throat> mm, yeah. All this stuff in my brain. All right, let's uh, let's jump over. I see Sarah Vance is in the uh, green room. We got about a minute before we get. To it. Let's just test her audio. I would test her audio, but her mic is muted. It says right there. It says her mic is muted, and now it's not. Hello, hello. Good morning. Wow, look, you. Yeah, I, I can hear you. I can hear you. Uh, good morning. Uh, you all ready for this? Well, my coffee's not ready yet, but I'm almost there. Okay. All right. Well, it'll be there. I can see. You know. Get the French press. I see you got the French press in the background. I can see it back there. Uh, We're all ready to go. All right. Well, we're going to jump into this then, and we'll be right back to you. Don't go anywhere. Sarah Vance, uh, our guest uh, here on the Michael Duke Show. Okay, folks, we're going to we're going to we're going to peel off. We'll be back. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Here we go. Back with more on Sarah Vance right after this. 
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning. Welcome to Hour 2 of this show for Monday. Uh, We're ready to go. And... Yeah, I'm just trying to get is I feel like I got hit by a truck. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm ready for winter be over. Bring me bring me the sunshine and the green grass. That's what I'm looking forward to right now. Uh we're ready to continue. We just finished up with Ben Carpenter, our guest in hour one. If you missed that, you can go back to uh you can go back to our podcast. You can listen to it on the podcast, which is available wherever you find podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, uh, uh, Google Play, uh, Spotify, those places. Or you can go back and watch it on the replay um, on Facebook or YouTube, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But now is the time to jump into Hour 2, and we're going to be joined now by our second guest of the hour, Representative Sarah Vance comes on board to share with us and uh, give us some of her thoughts on everything that's going on. And we welcome her bright, smiling, shiny face this morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning. You're doing you're doing good. You're almost coffeeed up and almost ready to go. Four more minutes. (laughs) She's over here timing. She's counting three minutes and 48 seconds, three minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, I feel that sometimes, like, how much longer do I have to wait? Um, All right, Sarah. Well, we got a few things to talk about today. Um, I want to just uh, to give everyone the preview. I I want to talk about uh, SB uh, 140. I want to talk about the grand juries. Uh, I want to talk about the Machiavellian BS that seems to be running amok uh, amongst the minority and the majority and some of the cheap shots that were taken and um, and uh, and just kind of cover all that. So are we good to go? We, We free and clear to navigate here? It would be great to talk about any of the bills that I'm running, but and yeah, and absolutely, absolutely, we will also give you the freedom to talk about the bills. I would not ask you to come on here to not talk about your own stuff. All right, but so let's. I guess we'll start right off the gate. We just we didn't get a chance to talk with Ben on air. We did off air about um, this Wednesday's hearing in Judiciary, 1 p.m. Uh, HB one uh, HB 67, which is a new bill about grand juries and process. So if you want to address that real quick, and then we can talk about 140, and then I do want to make sure we get to talk about your bills as well. So uh, let's talk for just a second about that because we missed it with Ben on air. Uh, Give us a little bit of a rundown about HB 67 and what's coming out of judiciary possibly this week. Well, House Bill 67 is a governor's bill that he introduced last year to protect 
uh, victims' rights. And uh, victims' rights also include the grand jury. And uh, we have worked on this in judiciary. It covers uh, the sex registry and um, be, being able to give a voice to victims, allowing them more rights in, in due process. And one of the areas is to not require victims to appear before the grand jury if they've already given their testimony to law enforcement or prosecutors beforehand, so not to re-traumatize them. One of the things that Alaska has done terribly is protecting victims, and they end up having to tell their story over and over and over again, and the, the case may not make it all the way through trial. So this is just allowing them uh, the opportunity to tell their story once, and the authorities would be able to use their testimony as a recording in grand jury. And if the prosecutor in the grand jury thought it necessary for them to come and appear before the courts, then they could come in, they could be compelled. Uh, but this is something that has been an outcry of the victims advocacy organizations for quite some time. There's other elements of the bill, but one of the areas that really caught mine and Carpenter's attention is uh, that of the grand juries. And as you know, that's been uh, an outcry of the people for quite some time, but it's really reached a lot of momentum in this last year. And last year we decided that we needed we needed to just pause on the bill. And so Carpenter took a lot, he took time during the interim to really dig in and research the issue. As you heard him, he, he studied the constitution, he studied uh, the statutes, he studied court rules and learning what are the parameters around the grand jury? Because our constitution says they should not be limited. So this is kind of what House Bill 67 is about. And we're just trying to make sure that it's clear in the law what the purpose of the grand jury is and by not limiting them according to our constitution. Which, again, is pretty clear that it says, as you said, they're purely unlimited. It is the people's transparency I mean, it's the people's right to have the, the transparency in government, to have the grand jury sit on issues regarding government. Um, and again, the assertions of people, uh, uh, you know, from around like the fact that there was a grand jury and paneled and then dismissed when they started to dig into questions of government uh, corruption or anything like that. That was troubling. And nobody covered it. Nobody. I mean, we came at it late. We got the we got the heads up from Ben. Uh, after it was all said and done and none of the major media was covering it or anything else. I mean, it's troubling when you have a constitutionally mandated thing get abrogated through judicial or uh, just kind of this fiat rule. Um, that's kind of troubling for the state uh, that that kind of stuff is going on, that it's a blatant constitutional violation. Uh, I'm hoping that your uh, I'm hoping that this bill and any suggested amendments would be addressing some of those things. Uh, these are this is something that uh, we're getting a lot of pushback about <laughs> because it's upsetting the apple cart. But we're trying to really uh, show that this is the the people's voice, and this is right. the ultimate tool for victims' protections. Right. Right. You, no one wants to be a victim of the state, and uh, as you know, I um, I was addressing a lack of justice uh, 
that I, I really did terribly. Right. And, uh, you know, the outcry of Alaska Native people, the outcry of victims in general is that they are not seeing justice in, right. in our um, courts. They're not right. seeing justice anywhere. And um, they feel like their voices are not being heard. And by empowering the grand juries and lifting that, that restriction off of them, that's sincerely been pro forma, then, then we are empowering the people of Alaska. As Carpenter and I were discussing this last night in the Constitution, I said, there's another section um, of the Constitution that says all political power is inherent in the will of the people and their will only. And by by pairing that with the grand juries, you know, this is all about the people and making sure that there is justice on whatever issue that comes before them. Right. And that's why this bill is so important is that it's um, it's marrying the two because we've heard of grand juries being just about going after political corruption and the grand juries are supposed to look at anything. Right. And, and this is, um, this is a much bigger issue than I think what has been talked about. So I want to encourage people this, this involves any area of justice. Right. It's not just about government corruption. I think that's one of the more onerous things we've seen recently. But you're right. There's been a lack of justice, especially for victims in this state for a long time. And uh, it's definitely something. So that's going to be coming out. Uh, it's going to be in judiciary. It's going to be heard Wednesday, about one o'clock, depending on uh, Ben just said, depending on the floor session around one o'clock. So I'm expecting uh, House Judiciary goes from one to three on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But because we are debating HDR 7 on the floor that day, I anticipate the judiciary will be delayed. So don't be dismayed. Uh, we will reconvene uh, after, if we're delayed, we'll reconvene after 530. There's another committee that we have to allow that space for, but we will hold judiciary that day at some point in time. Okay. All right. Uh, we're paying attention to it. Um, you just mentioned, um, you know, you were tr your your advocation for victims across the state, and how you were. I think you just said, "quote You were horrible at it." Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. This is about this for you know this freer over uh, something you said, and that you then you came forward and felt like, well, I got to say something about, you know, I want to apologize to people. And then it became this <clears throat> political football. Uh, one of the folks across the aisle decided to uh, uh, pull some real uh, back end uh, kind of chicanery. And, and I just got to say, first and foremost, having listened to the entire commentary, having listened to it, having people on the program here, having somebody who's Alaska native reached out to me and said, this is ridiculous. I listened to it and I was not offended at all. Um, I just got to say that uh, you're a class act, that you came back and felt like you needed to apologize, but then to have them kind of end run you with the media on that at the same time, um, I didn't think you needed to apologize. I, it's totally your right to do so. Uh, and you're just trying to be, again, polite and let people understand. I have never seen anybody who's advocated more for victims' rights, regardless of skin color, race, creed, religion, or anything else. I've never seen anybody fight for victims' rights harder than you. And I personally found it, on, on your behalf, I found it insulting that the tax that they were trying to uh, take on this, I just wanted to say that right off the bat. I found it insulting because I've never seen somebody who has a, a purer heart on this issue than you. Uh, so I didn't know if you wanted to comment on that before we move on, but I wanted to give you the opportunity. 
Thank you, Michael. You're going to make me cry. Um, it's a humbling thing when you cause an offense to someone that that you're trying to honor and build a relationship with. That's why I apologized, because um, I want I want healing and I want justice for everyone in Alaska. As we know, we are we are just failing for people and, uh, you know, humanity in Alaska in so many ways. And that's that's why I felt the need to say, you know what? I hear you. I'm with you. I'm going to I need to watch my words. Um, what I said wasn't wrong, but the context matters. And I should have just let them share their experience in that moment. Um, there is so much that we need to do for, like you said, for, for everyone, regardless of race, creed, religion, it doesn't matter. This is a matter of human dignity. And if it takes me standing before the entire state of Alaska to say, I'm sorry that I caused an offense, you know, I want to, I want to do this better. I'm willing to do that because this is, this is absolutely what we need. If we're not willing to, to do that with each other and, um, and be in that place of vulnerability and humility, we're never going to see the change in Alaska that we want. I know it's uncommon for someone in my position, but at the same time, this is who I am and I'm not going to be anyone different. So I appreciate that, Michael, because these are things that we don't like to talk about. Right. We'd rather talk about the dividend or, you know, how we hate taxes, but you know, um, Alaskans are struggling and I want us to come together on what we can do about it. And it's not going, the answer is not going to come from government. Right. So I know I'm preaching to the choir with everyone on your show, but these are things that matter. And, uh, that's why I'm continuing to press in on these issues. Well, I mean, again, and I appreciate your heart on that, that, uh, you know, you, you felt it was important to, uh, you know, to soothe any, any hurt on that. And I, and I agree, but again, um, I was, you know, I was just angry on your behalf because I know who you are and I've seen it. And I think anybody that's watched for more than five seconds sees where your heart is and understands that, uh, you care uh, about the victims and about this whole issue more than probably most of the people in the legislature, and uh, <clears throat> it was kind of uh, it was kind of underhanded in the political aspect of that. But I appreciate your work, and uh, just know that there was a ton of support. Like I said, I mean, I had people who reached out to me on email and and Facebook when I when I was talking about this because I was mad, I was agitated that that was kind of the tack that it took because it takes away. Here's what gets me. We don't have a lot of time here, but it takes away from the actual victims this kind of false outrage that they were trying to gin up. Uh, this kind of false outrage against you not only takes away one takes away from victims uh, from their actual hurt and their problems, but two attacking somebody who is an advocate and who is fighting for those victims. It felt like an attack in that way as well, and that was just what was irritating to me and and infuriated me. Not irritating. That's that was too mild a word. I was pissed off about the whole thing. So on your on your behalf and on behalf of all victims. So. Uh, anyway, Sarah, I appreciate you, and uh, <clears throat> we appreciate all your hard work on this. So uh, before I start to cry, let's go over here and continue on here in just a moment. We're going to take a break, uh, give Sarah a chance to imbibe some great coffee, 
and uh, get all in her beard curler coffee mug. She's actually, she's working it over there this morning. We're going to be back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more and Sarah Vance right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Sarah Vance, uh, our guest uh, on that. Yes, so you are amazing. That's that's the, I think the bottom line is what you're doing is a, is a lot of good work, and and I just I hate to see good people come under fire for no reason other than some kind of political scoring some kind of political point so that's all i'm going to say on it i'll be done with that um nice coffee mug by the way you can get those coffee mugs uh sarah got the coffee mug for winning the recipe contest uh, a couple years ago with their kentucky blue ribbon kentucky derby pie um anyway uh if you want to get a copy of the six o'clock club mug all you have to do is go over to my website, and you can find links to it there. You can buy it up, uh, off of Zazzle and uh, get it there. Which reminds me, this has nothing to do with Sarah, but I do. <laughs> I built I built I built a brand new website about six months ago, and I haven't taken it live because I've been trying to get the I've been trying to get the store component to work together, and I've been having a hard time because I'm doing it all by myself. Uh, but I've got T-shirts and mugs and coffee and everything else. It's all going to go up. So. I'm going to commit that by the <clears throat> by the 1st of May, that'll be up. I'm going to commit. Oh, I shouldn't do this. I'm going to commit by the 1st of May, that website, the new website will be up with all the cool stuff in it, including all the different T-shirts. Just say no to government dough and the censorship T-shirt and all the other ones. I get some looks. I was wearing. I want one. I was wearing that shirt on, on Friday. Uh, and I didn't even real. I mean, I was wearing it. I wasn't thinking about it. And I, so I was at the store. I went to the store, which, and I hadn't been to the store in a while. And I noticed two or three people like staring at me. And I'm like, why are you staring at me? I mean, I'm handsome, but not that. And I'm like, oh, it's because it says don't just like right here. Just say no to government dough. And uh, I think I was getting people's attention with that shirt. So anyway. Um, all right, uh, Sarah, we're going to talk a little bit about SB 140, and then I'm going to give you the full segment at the end to talk about whatever you want to talk about. What bills are we going to be talking about with you at the end of the uh, end of the show here today? Well, I have House Bill 129 voter registration that's in the Senate that uh, is going to be hopefully scheduled for a hearing next week. So it's moving along. This is a big deal. Nice, nice. Okay, voter registration, and is that does it have anything to do with uh, cleaning up the rolls as well, or is it? This is one hundred percent cleaning up the voter. I love it. I love it. Step in the right direction. It's not the panacea, but it is a step in the right direction in this legislature. Good, good. I wanted to hear it. Uh, I want to hear all about that. We'll take it. Uh, Somebody asked a question early on. uh, Representative Vance, please mention the definition of life since it will be heard again today. So can you, we want to mention that at the end of the show or we can start it off with? You want I, to get, I'll start right now because right Kevin now. McCabe is giving me the, hey, hey. So uh, poke, poke, poke. 
Rep McCabe has House Bill 107 and House Judiciary today. And again, it's all depending on our activity on the floor. And uh, I forgot that we have Rep Congressman Peltola on the floor today. So I anticipate a longer floor session again. However, we do have House Bill 107 scheduled for public testimony that defines life in criminal law. This is uh, a great bill that encompasses um, all the applications of life in, in every case that you could possibly imagine in criminal law. And we need your support. Uh, we have received, of course, a plethora of emails and outrage by Planned Parenthood that think it's all about them and uh, that it would undermine the Constitution. Newsflash, they're wrong. So we, I would encourage your support. You can email house.judiciary at akleg.gov or call in. We would love to hear your voice of support and give support for Rep. McCabe's bill, House Bill 107. All right. Today. Right? Today. T today. 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 Okay. Sometime today. after 1 p.m. Um, all right. Uh, Sarah Vance, our guest. We're going to continue here in just a moment. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Uh, we'll continue here in just a moment. Let's get it done. Let's get going on, shall we? <clears throat> I'm going to mash the button here in 13 seconds. See, I got, I got, I got a little ahead of myself here. Now I got to fill for 13 seconds. What's going to happen? I have no idea. Here we go, Sarah Vance. Let's do this thing. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I'm not. I'm a perfect angel. Ask anybody. Anybody will tell you I am. Uh, welcome back. The Michael Duke show. Common Sense Radio. Sarah Vance is our guest. Uh, she joins us this morning to talk about what's going on in the legislature. We just finished uh, about some of those other things. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, well, just since we're since we just talked about it, well, we've got HB 107 coming in front of judiciary today, sometime after 1 p.m. because Peltola is going to speak to the floor. So, sometime after one, House Judiciary HB 107, which defines life in criminal law, right? So that uh, so give us the rundown on this real quick. That's pretty much it. It's a one-page bill. It's not overly complicated, but I love this kind of policy because it makes you ask the question, well, what else does this apply to in law? So we're going to be uh, taking a deep dive. You know, we have to we have to make sure that we're talking about human life and not AI and all the other creepy things that our society now has to deal with. Make sure that that's clearly defined. And it's, you know, when you're policy wonk and, and asking all of the crazy things that this could apply to, it makes it kind of fun. Yeah, because again, this and this has to deal, I think specifically, correct me if I'm wrong, but it has to deal with, you know, in the case of assaults, attacks, murders, or things like that, especially with the unborn, the question is, do does this add multipliers? Does this add, you know, escalators to somebody's sentence if they kill a woman who has to be or injure a woman who who happens to be pregnant? And, and so it has to define that, right? Or is there That's something already in Alaska law? Right. It so, is already a double homicide if someone 
knowingly kills a pregnant woman and her baby. Right. Like there's, there's levels, there's degrees of that. That's already law. Yeah. So this, um, this is giving a better definition of human life. And uh, right now it doesn't have the word human in it. We are going to pass an amendment. That was an oversight. And uh, you know, we're going to be working through this and, and this is something that's foundational you know, asking the question, what is life? Right. How can we define it? And that's something that I appreciated Representative McCabe talking about. He said, you know, we we can define death a little bit better, but why do we struggle defining life? And in conversations outside of committee, I just had a thought that it's often a struggle for us because life is holy. There's something absolutely mysterious and precious about it. And as science has... Uh, really continued with technology, we're seeing, we can see that that life begins at conception. And I don't know if you've seen it, the video of uh, the spark of light of that moment of conception that uh, was able to be captured on, on video. It's, it's really magnificent. So defining that with words is something that we are having to do, make sure that we get right so that Anytime it comes uh, before a case that it is well-founded in statute, because as you know, these things go all the way to the Supreme Court. Right, right. No, absolutely. And I think that this makes a lot of sense, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it uh, today. Again, this is going to be in House Judiciary today, HB 107. Uh, normally, Judiciary meets at 1, but they've got Peltola on the floor, so it'll be sometime around 1 or after 1, and you guys will get a chance to talk about this. So hopefully people are paying attention to it. Um, all right, well, let's go back and rewind the clock just a little bit to last Thursday. Uh, we didn't get a chance to really talk about it afterwards because obviously it was Thursday night and then Firearms Friday, so this is our first chance to get a crack at it. Uh, and that is SB 140, which is, um, I mean, people said the definition of a, of a great bill is one where everybody's a upset or everybody is dissatisfied. So I don't know if we've quite reached that uh, level with this bill. Uh, obviously dissatisfied with the fact that we didn't get the changes for the charter schools that we wanted, uh, didn't get a lower amount for the BSA, uh, didn't get the governor's bonuses, uh, but they did get half of what they were asking for as far as the BSA permanent increase, $175, $200 million a year in perpetuity, forever, moving forward. Uh, give us your thoughts on the bill and, uh, and again, what you think. Uh, we, we asked Ben to give us Vegas odds on whether or not the governor vetoes it. Uh, so give us your thoughts on HB 140 as it was going through the whole process here and where we go from here. Well, you know, the process, this was some of the ugliest sausage I've seen in a long time. And uh, it is incredible how we were able, I mean, this was a $300 million bill that we passed and uh you know i it's absolutely maddening that uh that amount of money and it's 175 million that will be in perpetuity that's the bsa increase and the other right actually um because we didn't get all of what we wanted the the fiscal note may not be as high as 300 million i don't know what the final fiscal note is okay because so many of the changes uh were stripped out like the 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 teacher retention bonuses that the governor clearly wanted all of us i say all of us um the the conservatives definitely wanted that and 
uh, it's unfortunate. Not everyone who claims to be a conservative apparently wanted that. But um, that's something that I think is going to come back to the table because, you know, it works. Uh, so I I was really frustrated in saying, hey, we have to have charter schools have an easier process. So we got some of what we wanted that was uh, positive change. Like you said, there is now uh, a process of appeal for charter schools with the state. And also there's uh, going to be someone indeed in the Department of Education that they can go to for help on um, charter school applications, which is really going to be helpful for, for uh, our parents who are trying to form charter schools. That's something that my constituents have really said that they needed is just helping that process, having someone who can tell them, how do we do this? Uh, so uh, I'm just, I'm still saying, you know, there's so much more left on the table that I hope that we can actually work on this session and really force the hand of other legislators uh, to be able to to get the things that we need. I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that there was a lot of good things in that bill um, uh, overall before it hit the floor and before it was voted on, um, <clears throat> especially in light of the things that have happened with charter schools. Uh, I love the fact that the BSA, that now that the homeschooling programs and the distance learning programs will now get 100% instead of 90%. I thought that was always ridiculous uh, that they that they would miss out on that. So I think that's a good change. Um, but again, the $680 million in BSA increase. Uh, I mean, I know it was half of what they're asking for, but I always felt like that was like a used car negotiation. I want this much, oh, yeah. so you get this much, you know, the 1413 number. Um, but this still has to go before the Senate, right? And the Senate has been pretty vocal about the fact that they they really want something larger. And then, of course, it has to hit the governor, and the governor didn't get a lot of the things that he wanted. So, Give me, you know, tell me what you think is going to happen in the Senate. And then, you know, any predictions with the governor? Give me give me some of your thoughts here. Well, the Senate can choose to concur. And if they don't concur, it'll be interesting because I think they did get what they wanted in reality. Um, it would be surprising to me if they didn't. The, the timing on being able to get the bag bill, which is the Internet portion, there's a timeline that we're up against. They'll really slow that down if they if they do not concur and go to conference committee. And that would prevent schools from having the 100 megabits of internet, you know, being able to cash in on that this year. So I'm thinking that they might go ahead and concur, but what the governor does, nobody knows. There's a lot of speculation that he will veto, but I don't wanna presume what the governor will or will not do, but I can imagine that he feels like we have failed him uh, because he was very clear that he would veto anything that did not have the teacher retention bonuses in it and a couple of the other changes. So if he if he vetoes, I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean, because he was pretty clear. If I don't if we don't have this, right. then it's not a bill that I will sign. Now, right. that raises questions about does he veto the whole thing? Can he line item veto this one or he can't because it's not an appropriations bill? Um, Correct. Right. So he would have to veto the whole thing. He couldn't just line item it. He'd have to just kibitz the whole thing, which, again, puts a whole crimp on the idea of what happens to all those federal monies that everybody's so hot to try to get if they don't. Which, again, might be a way of saying, I told you, I warned you, 
and you keep ignoring me at your own peril kind of thing. I mean, he is the strongest governor in the country as far as the rights of this uh, of this governorship. Um, and, you know, if you keep ignoring him, you ignore him at your peril. Well, the just to be clear, the only portion that would be at risk is raising the Internet speed. Uh, and it would be, you know, this year. So right. they have internet. It would just be raising the speed. The other is is state dollars, and um, you know, I think I think there's still time to negotiate. Uh, I I do want to be mindful that one of the purposes of us addressing this early on in the session is that school districts are making their they're finalizing their budgets in March, and they need that that stability of whatever the BSA is going to be so that they don't have to put out pink slips. Right. I absolutely want to honor that because we need to retain teachers and it's a dirty, dirty move for us to politicize and drag this out till after the school districts have to say, yeah, well, we don't know if we can keep you. Right. You to keep teachers. Don't fire and rehire. Right. And I'm hoping that whatever the governor does, that the legislature can come back to the negotiating table and make it quick. I mean, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. I think we definitely needed. And, and, and a sidebar, real quick here, we got about a minute and a half. Um, has anybody, you know, during this whole discussion, of course, this is all about the bag money, which is the money for a hundred megabit internet that they're talking mm-hmm. about. Is there any discussion at all about? Looking at alternatives to this fiber optic option instead, I mean, I know we've got plenty of areas out in the state, including we've got pictures of GCI offices with Starlink dishes on the top of them. Right. I mean, why, why is there, has there been any, is there any opportunity for that kind of discussion about why are we going to spend millions and millions of dollars uh, for this kind of stuff when we've got something like Starlink, which has been phenomenal um, is there any discussion on that? I'm just curious. There is. And that was something I'm probably going to say more than I should, but one of our members uh, had an amendment to ex- allow for other options like Starlink because it's, it's affordable. It's an option that's available right now. Right. We're it, still, we're still working on, you know, expanding broadband Right. and it takes time. But meanwhile, schools are finding a better option. Why not let them use that? But I tell you, there was a lot of no, you're not going to get to to have anything kind of conversation. And this is this is why I say I don't blame the governor. And if he if he wants to veto to get us back to the negotiating table to say you're going to have to talk to us and you're going to have to listen to what we want. Sarah Vance, our guest. Uh, we got one final segment dead ahead. We're going to talk about her bill on voter registration and what that does. That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. I saw something where somebody was making a comment about... um, 
one of the teachers in the rural areas, they were bringing their own personal Starlink dish to the school so they could have the five. And this is what killed me. I got an email out of the blue, and I don't know how, but I got on some mailing list from one of the North Slope telecoms and they sent out this announcement hey we've got this money and now we've got these new plans for internet come on down and check it out and i'm like okay so i went and checked it out and i'm like you know to get a hundred megabit service uh in 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 the some of these rural communities through these telecoms it was it was like four hundred dollars a month for for a hundred megabit internet I get 500 megs download for $99 a month from Starlink. Now, granted, you need, you know, you got to spend the the 4 or 500 bucks for the equipment or whatever, but I mean, you you would you would make that back in the first 5 months, you know, or in the first 3 months, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd make all that money back and more. Why are we continuing to look at this legacy stuff? Instead of the new technology when it's there, well, you know, fiber is much more. Well, in the long run, sure, fiber is probably more um, secure and it's more this and it's more that. But talk about all those people that lost their Internet up on the North Slope for months after somebody cut a fiber cable. I mean, it's not infallible. Plus, you've got to lay it's, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, it's an obscene amount of money for every mile laid. And then you got the last mile costs, which in some cases was costing $50,000 per hookup for some of these different areas. That's just money going to waste. What? I mean, I just don't even understand. Politics, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it's all it's all politics. It's all. This is why I should start day drinking again. Um, All right. (laughs) It's just it's just insane. I mean, Kevin McCabe is not wrong when he said Elon Musk Musk could have won the day by donating Starlink to the 200 Bush schools. Totally would have taken SB 140 off the table. Somebody should have reached out to Starlink's uh, PR arm. Somebody in the legislature should have reached out and said, here's what we got. We got this and this and this. If you guys want to have an opportunity, you just donate the units to the schools. See what you, you know, see what happens. That's when are you going to stream on X, Michael, so that we can just say Elon, Elon, and oh. then the algorithm catches us and he says, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to help those kids in rural Alaska. I got to tell you, um, I've never understood X or Twitter. I've just never, I mean, I have a Twitter account and I used to get away with it because I'd link my Facebook and my Twitter account. So anytime I posted to Facebook, it would go out there. But otherwise I just, I don't understand Twitter. It's, I mean, maybe I'm just not me. That 148 character limit was always like, what if I want to write a novel? I mean, why would I, you know, never understood that. But you're right. Maybe somebody needs to, maybe needs a thing. Um, All right. Uh, David Boyle said they actually just released the numbers for the schools, uh, which we've been waiting for for God knows how long. Of course, you notice the numbers just came out after the bill gets passed. Right. I mean, we were talking about this, that maybe they were holding, they were supposed to release the numbers back in November, December, and here we are in February, and they've been holding back on the numbers, and we're like, why? Why are they holding, you know, this is, and now the day after the bill passes, what do we get? We get the numbers, and they're down, they're down to 150 kids or something, but I mean, now we have, by the way, he says nearly 21,000 correspondent students in the state. It couldn't get any better. 
I mean, it could get better. We could have half of them in the state. That hundred and at hundred, uh, that number, by the way, that big number, one hundred and twenty-seven thousand. That includes twenty-one thousand correspondence kits because those are part of that program. So that's a big chunk, man. That's a big chunk. Uh, I can't wait. I mean, you're talking about that's a significant, uh, uh, you know, twenty, eighteen percent, seventeen percent, whatever it is. That's a big number. You know, um, homeschool was the original educational classroom was learning right. at home right. with our families. Yep. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln, he was he was taught at home and would walk to the neighboring farm to borrow a book. Yeah. No, the original one room schoolhouse was your house. That was the original one room schoolhouse, right? It was all yeah. the kids in your family learning all together there. Uh it's great. It's um uh, yeah. Well, Kevin says they wanted to keep those numbers out because they were wanting to sell everybody on the whole massive out-migration thing. So, I mean... It, My yeah. out-migration to homeschool and charter school. Yeah. And, you know, it just... Obviously, it's not for everyone. But I tell you, when we have uh, parents and grandparents and, and family members who can do that, we should empower them all the more. I mean, as I've talked about before, my parents are, are homeschooling their children. Yeah. My mom didn't have a bachelor's degree. She didn't go to college and tell you what, she's an excellent teacher. Yeah. No, my wife, she, I mean, barely has a high school education and she does a fantastic job because she's never got tired of learning. That's what it's all about. That's right. All right. Uh, Sarah Vance, uh, we're going to continue here. Uh, the Michael Duke show. We've got one final segment. Let's do this thing. And, uh, and then I'll go take some more cold medicine. Here we go. Uh, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Okay, Sarah Vance is our guest. Uh, one final segment of the show today, and uh, Sarah thought we weren't going to talk about her stuff. She was uh, <laughs> she was offended we weren't going to talk about her stuff. Sarah, you've got a bill up. Um, we've heard all kinds of things. Uh, I mean, speaking of grand juries, maybe somebody should look into the uh, division of elections. I'm just saying, uh, we still haven't seen the report that the OMB supposedly put together. We've still got lots of questions, but you've got a bill up there right now uh, that, uh, is going to deal with election uh, registration, voter registration. So give us the details on this and how does this help some of these problems? Let's, 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 let's get to it. Well, cleaning up our voter rolls is foundational to election integrity. There's a lot of issues that we could address, but I consider, uh, our voter rolls at the top of the mountain. You know, it's, it's the peak. It is the easiest way to address a lot of the errors that we have within our systems is just getting people off that shouldn't be there. And um, I had some some people outraged on the left that um, how how why are you removing these voters off of our rolls? You know, voter suppression. And I said, no, absolutely not. If there are people on our voter rolls who are not Alaskans living here alive, then they shouldn't be on our voter rolls. Because that just makes us subject to a lot of error. I don't like to use the F word when talking about uh, elections. So, and it's no, it's not that F word, people. She's talking about F-word. she's talking about fraud. I said it, she didn't. But there you go. Yeah, we. I, I can't say that. 
in the legislature, everybody, you know, it, it gets everyone's shorts in a wad. It's really hard to prove in elections, by the way. And cleaning up our voter rolls is something that the division can do. And, um, you know, there's what the bill does is require governmental sources for the division to look to that uh, can provide accuracy. And what I mean by governmental sources is the Social Security Death Index, property, um, you know, records, um, you know, the permanent fund division, which they already do. A lot of there's quite a few of these that they already do. But but making this in statute, because a lot of the systems that the Division of Election um, uses is not in law. And we want to provide sideboards and clear direction from the legislature. And this says that you need to tighten up that timeline on when you purge the voter rolls by at least two years. Because right now we're way out there compared to the average, right? I mean, what is it now? Six years, eight years, eight years, eight years. Eight years. Yeah. We do have federal restrictions. I would have loved to go tighter, but this is what I could get. This bill is the compromise bill. And um, that's how I was able to get a lot of support, get it out of the house. And I'm encouraging the members of the Senate to keep it the way it is. This is real clean and narrow that doesn't involve a lot of the other issues. This is just, let's clean up our voter rolls and we'll see how it goes in the Senate. I've lived where I've lived for 10 years and uh, I've had the same PO box for 10 years. And when they did the voter, when they did the mail votes uh, during COVID, I got two ballots, three ballots for people who were not we're not me. I've been there for 10. I've had that box for 10 years. So the question, there's a lot of questions. People have a lot of questions and there's an opportunity for a lot of mistakes to happen, obviously, in those kind of situations, whether you want to call it fraud or not, there's a lot of opportunities for mistakes to happen. This just seems to make sense. I don't understand the hesitancy and the outrage of people who say, oh, you know, when they're told, well, we need to clean up the voter rolls and they immediately scream, like you said, voter suppression. I don't understand the hesitancy there or the uh, or the outrage. I don't either. Michael. I want everyone's eligible vote to count and for you to have the confidence that it will, that it's not going to be canceled out by something nefarious. And we know that a couple of years ago, 113,000 Alaskans uh, information was hacked in the Division of Elections and they didn't say anything. That did not build voter confidence because all of the no, the indicators of your identity was out there for nefarious activity. One of the other things that I've included in this bill is a requirement that if there is a data breach in the division of elections, that within 30 days, they notify the people and the legislature, as long as it doesn't interfere with any um, investigation, that they make that known to the people so that the people can protect their own identity and information. Because uh, that was not the case a couple of years ago, and Alaskans are still pretty mad about that. I, uh, yeah, I, I was definitely a little upset when I found out about, oh, you mean this happened so long ago that it doesn't matter right now? It's all out in the wild? Okay, great. Thanks for letting me know, you know, in a timely manner. Uh, why, again, should we trust government with all this information? Why, again, should we trust government with this? I mean, it, it you know, it's a rhetorical question, but at that point... It, they're not they don't have a stunning track record let's put it that way uh debbie asks what about the military members who plan to return and have kept their driver's license
licenses, et cetera. Uh, are you planning on taking their, well, I don't think that's the right way to phrase it, but she says, are you planning on taking their right to vote? Uh, I would have asked, are you planning on removing them from the rolls? I'll let you answer that. And the answer is no. Uh, every every Alaskan who has a clear intent to vote and shows that they're not registered or res, a resident in any other state can continue to vote in Alaska. That's what the intent to return is for. But we also have measures on what that looks like. Are you really living in Alaska and intending to return here? That means that you're not setting up a residence someplace else. We did put those requirements in the bill. And uh, for instance, if if someone um, hasn't voted for quite some time and they don't respond to the notice that the division sends and they want to vote, all they have to do is go vote. It's as simple as that. It activates you again. Uh, if some of the argument was, well, they would have to vote a question ballot. The question ballot is no different than your vote by mail absentee ballot. Right. It just has a different title to it. And it's going to be put through, um, you know, the eyes of the elections board that's going to verify, hey, this person really is on the voter rolls, a resident of Alaska. We're going to count it. Right. No, I voted a question ballot for years because it was convenient for me not to, because my, you know, if you're, if you're working away from your polling location and I work a lot of hours, it would be like, I couldn't get there ahead of it. I'd just go to any precinct and vote on the important issues because I, you know, it's going to get counted just like any other vote. Um, and unless you're districted or something like that, you can't get a hold of those ballots. It, it you know, it makes sense. Um, so it's moved out of the house. It's over to the Senate. What's the, what's the, you know, predictions there. What, what, what is it going through now? It is in a Senate state affairs committee and that is chaired by Scott Kawasaki. So I am hopeful that he sees that this is of the will of the people and that we should move on this, this session. Well, and I will remind folks that Scott's up for re-election, so maybe a little pressure on there to move this out of the uh, committee might not be a bad uh, a bad move. Hey, by the way, uh, you might want to move this out there and clean up those voter rolls. I mean, because again, just <clears throat> in case folks haven't been paying attention, um, the the voter rolls we had a hundred thousand more registered voters than we had eligible people in the state. Right, that was the number. It was close to a hundred thousand people, wasn't it? I've heard. Uh, that we have 106 to 116 uh, percent inflation on our voter rolls. So I've heard different numbers. Okay. But maybe we have pre- more than we should. Let's just. Yeah. Maybe it was percentages and it wasn't people. Yeah. I thought maybe it was people. I was, uh, it was pe- percentages, not people. But when you're talking about 100 percent, you know, 116 percent, that's a, that's a tough thing. Um, somebody just posted in the chat room that uh, Phil Lizon just posted that ranked choice voting is going to be on the ballot. He just posted that on Facebook. So uh, we're going to have some interesting things happen here uh, in this. Uh, this this going to be an interesting election season is what I'm saying right now. Uh, all right, Sarah, two minutes. Uh, I'll give you the final two minutes to talk about anything you want to talk about. If you want to continue on with the uh, registration or any other bills that you got going on or just exhortations to people, this is your time. Well, I have a lot of other bills going on, and I should have two more bills hopefully coming to the floor this week or next, depending on when we can get them calendared. One of them uh, changes the term child pornography to what it is, child sexual exploitation material, often referred to by law enforcement as CSAM. 
we'd be changing that in law. And then another one bill that requires our state departments and runaway shelters to screen children for child trafficking. They are doing it to some level. And I want them to expand their efforts to make sure that we're catching kids before they become uh, victimized even further. All right. Well, like I said, you are the one that's been fighting this battle so much for victims across the state, adults and children alike. And um, I just can't uh, I just can't think of a better person to uh, to take this on and uh, to do the yeoman's work that needs to get done. Sarah Vance, uh, final thoughts. I love connecting with everyone. I will be home this weekend for the House District 6 convention on Saturday. I would love to see you there. Uh, We had a great time last time, packed the house, you know, so uh, that it will be a quick stop for me, but I would love to connect with everyone when I'm home. All right. Well, reach out to our office, figure out how to do that. Sarah Vance, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on board. Um, Today's going to be a good day. Great day, Michael. All right. Hold the line for just a sec. Folks, we're out of time tomorrow. Chris Story, Brad Keithley. The Michael Duke Show. Be kind, live, love one another, live well. Live one another, love well. I mean, what the heck is wrong? I mean, just <clears throat> more coffee. No, I just I need something stronger than that at this point. Um, Sarah, uh, any final thoughts? I, I I hate being up against the hard clock like that. Uh, so, any final thoughts that we missed? Anything else? You you guide us here. Well, I encourage you to uh, follow my Rep. Sarah Vance Facebook page and also on X, you know, any of these social media pages, I can't tell that people are getting the information. So if you follow me and hopefully you can keep the updates going because the algorithms have changed and having your interaction, people need to hear that you, that that uh, Rep. Carpenter and I are supported by the people. I know it's a battle out there, uh, but you've seen how dirty it can get recently. And uh, people need to know that we are truly representing the voice of the people in our districts. Would love for you to make sure that you like and follow our pages so that you can receive our regular updates. What did we learn this week? OPSEC is important. We don't tell people what we're doing at all, ever. I mean, we tell the people, but we don't tell people in the le- we don't tell other people in the legislature what we're doing. That's what we've learned. You can't trust anybody. It is like it's like Game of Thrones down there, sister. Oh man! I mean, it's like what is going on? Uh, it, I some of the things that I'm hearing on the back channel is just like what? I mean, you know, I mean, I would never make a good legislature. You'd have to hire a full-time dentist for me talking to all the people down there. All right, uh, Sarah Vance, uh, thank you so much for coming on board. As always, enjoy the coffee, and uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you again soon, okay? Thanks, Michael. All right, folks, that does it for me today. I am out of here. Uh, we're going to take off, and we will see you again tomorrow. Oh. Have a great day. I guess that's all I could say. Just have a great day. We will see you on the flip side.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.